So here we are at Auschwitz, Poland, and um, you may wonder why we come to Auschwitz, but it's something that we need to remember. If it could happen again, if people forget. And it's been pointed out by other people, it's because of an idea, a philosophy that people had that caused millions of people to be killed here. And we are doing the same thing today in different ways. We now have over 40 million people that have been murdered in the United States through abortion because of just convenience, because that child is inconvenient. This is just a fraction of that. So we still have the same thing going on today, but this is the railway terminal where they brought them to Auschwitz too and brought them directly to the gas chamber within hours. They were killed. Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack. Today, in remembrance of the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, Andrew's joined by pro-life activist Kristen Hawkins. If you actually believe in your heart that abortion is the killing of a unique whole living human being that's never existed before and will never exist again, if you truly believe that's what abortion does, how can you stay silent? And now, here's Andrew. Hello and welcome to our Wednesday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today we are having a very special Gospel Truth program. You know, this is actually the 47th anniversary of the day that Roe versus Wade was put into effect and they started aborting children and, and there has been over 60 million children in the U.S. aborted. I just heard a comment in the last month or two that now abortion is, I think, the second leading cause of death in the world. That is a terrible statistic. And so we have been having special programs all week long just to keep this issue in front of us. It's something that we don't like to think about. Very few of us get excited in a positive way, but nonetheless, we need to deal with this. So we've had Melissa Oden on the first two days of the week, and now today I've got Kristen Hawkins with us, and Kristen, I first met you back in 2018, I believe, at the event That's right. that we held. Uh, Tony Perkins put this together, and we had you there and Governor Huckabee, some other people. And I was, uh, my wife and I were both very impressed with you. You got up, and in I think five minutes or something, just hit a home run <laughs> talking about abortion and what's happening and. So anyway, uh, you've got a long resume here. I hadn't got time to read it all, but uh, you are the mother of four. That's right. You are the president of Students for Life. We need to discuss what that is and what's mm -hmm. happening. You've written books. You have a podcast. You've spoken at many universities. You've uh, spoken in front of all kinds of government things. You're, you've been in the uh, White House with That's the right. president, vice president. God has just given you a... I mean, a huge mouthpiece to be an advocate for life. How did all this get started? Well, I think it's what God's done in my life is just proof, right? Of when you tell the Holy Spirit, go ahead and work through me, what can happen? And you, sometimes you just have to hold on for the ride. Uh, because <laughs> I, it, I've often said I'm like on a roller coaster, <laughs> just holding on. I'm not what, in control. Exactly. That's what I've been telling people, especially with all the momentum we've been seeing in the pro-life movement in the past two years of, I am just holding on for dear life because it's moving so fast. And things that we thought were impossible just a few years ago 
that we're doing that's happening right now in conversations that we thought we would never be able to have, at least until I was two or three more decades older, we're having right now. So it's it's been an incredible journey. And I think it's, for me, it's so interesting to witness just the power of the Holy Spirit. So have you always been pro-life or were you ever on the other side of this issue? Or you know, that? my family, I grew up in a great uh, church and uh, my family says that they were pro-life. My mom told me that when I was little, she took me to pro-life marches. But when I was in high school, um, you know, if you would have asked me the question, are you pro-life, pro-choice, I would have answered pro-choice because pro-choice really? is the more compassionate thing, right? If, even if you're against abortion, it's you're more pro-woman if you're pro-choice. Um, and so now you're younger than me. You grew up in a different generation. Right. Uh, that wouldn't have been the way that my generation right. was, but your generation, I guess that was the Absolutely. cool way to be. Huh? Absolutely. Especially considering our mothers were the ones who grew up in the late sixties and the mid to late seventies. Um, and so that's really what we've been seeing with the millennial generation, right? They were raised by these Xers um, and baby boomers. And so I actually got my start in the product movement because a woman at my church was a part-time accountant at the Pregnancy Resource Center. And I, uh, like a typical overachiever, I wanted to graduate high school in the, you know, record speed and college in record speed. And in order to do that, I needed a lot of volunteer credit hours. And so she said, why don't you come and volunteer at my pregnancy center with me? And I had, you know, I was like, sure, I'm pro-woman, sounds great. I had no idea what, I, you know, I would like to say I knew what I was getting myself into, but like most things, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And the women at the pregnancy center were so excited to meet me um, because they wanted to put me to work of counseling a lot of the girls who were coming in who are my age or younger. And I was 15 at this time. And so, but I first had to learn everything there was to know about sex and abortion and STDs. And so I spent the first, gosh, the first, three or four weeks just learning and observing everything I could. And that first day when I left the pregnancy center, I just, I remember walking to my car. I'd just gotten my, my permit. My dad was there. And I just remember thinking, how is this happening? And no one's talking about this. Like this, this was after the first day. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. In one day, your yeah. eyes were open. Yeah. I mean, they didn't mince words at the pregnancy center. And once they knew they wanted to train me, I was... And where was this? This was in Steubenville, Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just, it, to me, I was so shocked because here I was. I, you know, we went to church on Sunday, Sunday evening, Wednesday, Saturdays. I did Bible Bowl as a student. Like, I did all of these things. But no one ever talked about abortion. Like, why weren't we talking? Like, this is happening 2,600 times every single day, but no one's ever talking about it. I was 2,600 times back then. Yeah. Now, Melissa just said that it was, what, over 3,000 mm -hmm. per day that are mm -hmm. being aborted now. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And so that, to me, was just that wake-up call for me of, I've got to do something. Like, now I know the truth about abortion. I have to speak up. Like I have to do something. And How I kind of started my do you think this is among Christians that actually have a relationship with the Lord, love the Lord, but they they don't even have a clue, and they have bought into the fact that you are being uh, hateful towards women and denying them things. Yeah, I mean, to to me, you know, there are a lot of Christians out there who know abortion's wrong, but don't act on it or kind of have the feeling that abortion's wrong, but they don't ever want to learn more about abortion because if they would 
learn about abortion, then they would know they would feel compelled to act. And to, to be honest with you, that's the biggest area I struggle. Those are the biggest type of people. I'm always asking for patience for those types of people um, because it's, you know, the, the pro-abortion protesters and all of the nasty comments we get, like that's, that's not concerning to me. What's, what upsets me the most are Christians who should know better who should know the truth and should be acting That sounds like truth. God when he says, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, he hated that worse. And we have a huge segment of Christianity that is lukewarm on this issue. Absolutely. We're doing a research study right now at Students for Life because I'm always trying to think of, you know, how can we convert the most people in the quickest way? I, I'm a very competitive person, so I want to convert the most people in the fastest way possible. And so this year we're having a 250,000 conversations is our goal. We want to convert 50% of those young people we talk to. And so we're doing this research study right now because the challenge we have on campuses is, is when we have a conversion conversation, most of the time we're having a conversation with someone who's been party to an abortion. Everyone we know has had some you know, role to play in abortion. Or you know someone who's had an abortion. And so those conversations take 20 to 30 minutes. And so I've been you know, researching what's the fast way online. I'm very millennial. What's the online fast way to, to really start that conversion process? And the challenge we're having is so many people are in what we call the mushy middle. They, I don't like abortion. I get an icky feeling in my stomach when we talk about abortion. But I don't have the right to say it's wrong for everybody. And so it's in those it's people. It's like saying, oh, I don't have the right to tell you it's wrong to murder a person. That's your personal yeah. decision. So child abuse is all right as long as it's in yeah. the privacy of your home. Incest, pedophilia. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's such a stupid argument. It, th thank you for saying stupid. Because that's, that's the thought that always goes through my head when I'm on campuses. And, you know, people are yelling that at me. It's like, what a stupid argument you're making. How dumb um, can you get and still breathe? It's so hard because I think part of that argument is they don't really know. They say they know what abortion is, but they don't really know what abortion is. Because if you truly knew what abortion was, if you truly understood human development, you could never say that what's okay for this person may not be okay for you. Either abortion's always right, or it's always wrong. Something cannot be and not be at the exact right. same time, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Absolutely. So you, in one day, volunteering at this pregnancy mm -hmm. center, your eyes were open. How did you get to where you saw the light to where you became an activist. Well, you know, I like to, you know, God made me a very unique person, just like he's made all of us. And he's given me specific gifts. And one of them is, um, you know, I'm stubborn. That's <laughs> a nice way to say it. And so I, once I got turned on to what was happening, I was like, we have to stop this. We have to do whatever we can. And so I, you know, I started a pro-life group in my high school, and I started a student's pro-life group in my college. So you were still in high college. school at Oh, yeah, time? I was 15. Oh, 15. Yeah, I was 15. Wow. So I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. I'd won a scholarship to space camp that summer. I have a one college credit hour in space theory. <laughs> my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, we met when we were 14, I think he thought he was like, you know, going to marry a sugar mom. He was going to go on to be an engineer and make lots of money, and he was in for a rude awakening with my career choice and how everything in my life suddenly changed 
because I learned about abortion. I started paying attention. There was a new TV network called Fox News. So I started watching Fox News with my dad every night. I started reading the newspapers and trying to see how abortion fits into all of this. Um, and so everything about my life changed because of that one day, because I finally understood what happens during an abortion. I got it. And the I truth couldn't will set stop. You free. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yes, my stubbornness, my grittiness, um, my, my willingness to always want to win the battle, like that's propelled me forward and everything that, you know, we've been able to do and we continue to do is. All right. So you start, did you start Students for Life? Uh, we so launched it in 2006. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I was, I had worked for President Bush's uh, re-election campaign in 2004. And I got a lot of really good experience of mobilizing people on the ground, door knocking, getting volunteers, going church to church to get people excited for this political candidate. Um, and so I was working in the, the government. I was working as a political appointee for the Bush administration, the Department of Health and Human Services. And a friend of mine called from the campaign and said, hey, I just met with some students. They got some grant money. They want to go full-time. They want to launch a full-time pro-life ministry on campuses. And we thought, you need to talk to them. And so once again, the Holy Spirit led. I said, sure, I'll leave my comfortable government job and go run a pro-life nonprofit. How easy can that be? <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, no, we, we launched Students for Life. Um, I was the first, you know, full-time employee, the executive director slash janitor slash field rep. Um, but now today, it's, I mean, it's grown beyond anything I could so have ever imagined. So what size is it? We have over 50 employees. We have Students for Life groups in all 50 states. We've, we've started over 1,000 groups. We serve more than 1,230 groups. And now we're in the colleges, high schools, and we've even launched into middle schools this year. We're in some medical schools. And so what does schools. a Students for Life group do? Well, the goal of Students for Life group on campus is twofold, right? You think about the abortion industry. Where does the abortion industry target? They target urban minority areas and college campuses. That's their target-rich demographic right there. So the first goal of Students for Life group on any campus is to educate your peers. Educate your peers about what happens inside of those Planned Parenthood doors. Tell them the truth about abortion, about how a human being miraculously develops and how we all have intrinsic value and dignity. And then the second part of the Students for Life group, beyond educating your, your peers, is how do you transform your campus to support pregnant and parenting women? Because Let me just back up a second. How do you, do you not only educate them about what life is in the womb and stuff, but do you educate them about the abortion industry and Absolutely. like for instance, the selling of body parts mm -hmm. and stuff. Do you give them all of that? Absolutely. We okay. absolutely do. We have a tour that has been on college campuses. Every semester we have a different theme and we've done for several semesters a Planned Parenthood truth tour, educating students about Planned Parenthood. I bet that has endeared you to a lot of Planned Parenthood. Mm, well, not yes. only them, but just the people to support Planned Parenthood. Oh, yeah. You we get, get a lot of hate. Yeah, it's actually interesting. The people who come out and protest this the most are the college administrators, the adults. Really? Mm -hmm. And then we'll have, sometimes we'll have local Planned Parenthood workers come You think that's because they're us. fearful of the backlash they're going to get if they allow you they're to They're much this more closed-minded than the students. Um, you, these are ideologues who truly believe uh, in what, what their movement's about. And so really, in, in, when we talk about Planned Parenthood, for example, 
it's one of the easiest arguments we make because we take Planned Parenthood's own annual reports. We, we have all their annual reports from the past 10 years and we show every service Planned Parenthood provides, every good service, STD screening, STD testing, cervical screens, all of those things continue to decline. The only thing that goes up at Planned Parenthood every year are their amount of abortions. And that's directly correlated with the amount of government taxpayer dollars they get. The more taxpayer dollars they get, the more abortions they commit. And let me also ask, yes, I'm sure you can give the details, but they include a lot of their services and they say they do these other services, <laughs> but they're really a smoke screen. They mm -hmm. are all like, for instance, they may do a pregnancy test, mm -hmm. but it's so that they can give an abortion. Everything Absolutely. they do yeah. centers around abortion. Absolutely. It's a cycle. It's a definitely, it's, it's a predatory business cycle they've developed for young people. And you know, you'll hear that stat, 3% of what we do is abortion. It's a really about 11 to 12%. And the stat you really need to know is 94% of pregnant women who walk into a Planned Parenthood's doors get an abortion. 94%. And the cycle is, the cycles, it's tough because they're going into schools before the pro-life movement ever reaches young people. And they say, you know, and oftentimes they don't even like to talk about abortion because they know young people don't like abortion. But the message is, hey, when you decide to have sex, when you want to go on birth control, you don't want to have a discussion with your family, come to us. Because they know the sooner they can get her having sex, the sooner they can get her potentially carcinogenic hormonal, artificial hormone birth control, the more likely she's going to come back and back and back for an STD test, STD treatment. Maybe that birth control didn't feel so great, so they're going to get her another one. So every time she walks in the door, they're making money off of her. And they know if they build this relationship with her, when she's in that moment of crisis, you know, she's we had a bill in Colorado that I call the sex indoctrination bill, I 1032. That. And I, we turned out 600 people to protest it. And anyway, I gave testimony in front of them you and did. Planned Parenthood was there and their whole spiel, it looked good on the surface, but the bottom line, they were advocating for getting children involved in sexual misconduct as soon as possible, knowing it would lead right. to pregnancy and abortions. That's right. And it was a money-making deal. Absolutely. And it was so exciting to see that you were there testifying because a lot of our students turned out. We actually had a lot of students from the Colorado Springs area. Were you there? Area. No, a lot of our students were there. Our mm -hmm. regional coordinator, who's based in Denver, was gathering up all the students and getting them, ex uh, you know, excuses for their classes for they had to miss it. Um, but it was so important for them to be there because they're the ones who are going to be indoctrinated by Planned Parenthood. Their voices, I think, really matter in those battles. But it absolutely is. What Planned Parenthood, we're doing right now is a program where we're helping parents opt their kids out of sex ed because you as a parent, if you take, if your child goes to a public school and even a private school, you have to be on your guard because Absolutely. Planned Parenthood wants in the school badly because this is how they're going to make money. And you have the right as a parent to opt your child out of that sex education, that Planned Parenthood's coming. You know, the bad part about this Bill 1032 was that you did not have, uh, they said that a parent could opt out, but there was going to be... Um, classes with no notification. So you wouldn't know it's until comprehensive. After it was done. Yeah, they, they want to build in their sex education into every subject, just like what they've done mm -hmm. with LGBTQ history. We're like in the, his, in the math books now, they're like, here's this mathematician. He was rumored to be transgender. And they kind of get it into every single subject so you can't opt your children yeah. out. So what kind of an impact are you making with the students? Are you getting good response? 
We absolutely are. I mean, think about Planned Parenthood. They're a billion-dollar industry. Last year on their annual report, they actually bragged that they trained 700 students and that they'd started 50 uh, campus pro-abortion groups. Students for Life is nowhere near a billion-dollar organization. We trained last year over 18,000 young people. We Praise started 150 pro-life groups. Great. And so, are the young people receptive to this? Are they open to the pro-life stance? They are. We The way we talk about abortion on campus is we really couch it as a human rights issue. This is this is a human rights issue. No matter what you may think about God, no matter what you might think about politics or all these other issues, surely you can agree with us that if you don't have the right to life, you have no other right. And that if you start saying this human is more valuable than this human, it's a dangerous slippery slope that we've been down the road many times in human history and have done some horrific things to other right people. Now this beings. brings up something that you've got four children and two of them are special needs and, and according to the abortion industry, they aren't worthy of life. Yeah, I have two children, I have four children, but my oldest, my youngest, Gunnar and Gracie, both have cystic fibrosis. So CF is a genetic disease, so both my husband and I are recessive carriers. Um, it's a life-shortening disease. Um, and it means that my children have very expensive medical needs. They have to do two to four breathing treatments a day. So two to four hours a day, they're hooked up to a machine um, and lots of exercise. They have to eat three times the amount of calories a normal person eats. So lots of work, very regimented schedules. Um, and so it, it's challenging because you, when you think about someone who has, who's born with cystic fibrosis, if you think of someone who's born with a lot of genetic diseases, you know, at the very beginning of their life that they're going to suffer. And so we hear this a lot on college campuses. We hear this in the national debate stage often is, well, it's just better for her to have the abortion. That's the compassionate thing to do. Eliminate the sufferer, not who? the suffering. And That's the question. Yeah, that just defies logic to me. To think that somebody's life is not deemed worthy of even giving them a chance, so kill them. That's compassion. How can murder be compassionate? We have lost our way so much when it comes to suffering in our society. So we've deemed suffering to be an evil. That if you're suffering, that's an evil, and we need to do everything we can to stop the suffering, including killing you. It's so messed up. It is messed up. And plus, <laughs> that reveals that they don't believe in God and that there is life after this life because that person is not just ceasing to exist. They go to another place. And there's a reason they're here. They've been created in the image of someone. They have unique value and dignity, intrinsic value and dignity, just like how all of us do. Their genetic code doesn't change that. So you've got two children with cystic fibrosis and these problems that you're talking about. So does, is their life not valuable? How, how, how do you feel about them and how, how's your relationship? Well, of course my children's life has value. They're, they are equally valuable to their other siblings, right? Um, and I would say that if you've ever met somebody with cystic fibrosis, if you've ever met someone who has Down syndrome or any of these other genetic abnormalities, you will agree that they are the light of everyone's life, right, who meets them, that they bring something unique to this world that I don't have, that my husband doesn't have, that just their, their very presence. I remember one time I was speaking with a pastor about, you know, why? Why did God give me? two children with cystic fibrosis. So everything else I have to handle, you know, it's a very selfish, really, mindset you, you go through. 
Um, because it's not about you, it's about your children. Mm-hmm. And But he, I remember him talking about, you know, the unique graces that they have, the special grace that these children will have. And it's so true. Like if you meet my Gunner and Gracie, you know there's something special and unique and holy about them. How's their attitude? Are they depressed, discouraged, or? Well, you know, mental health is a huge issue within the cystic fibrosis community. They've actually, you know, been doing a lot of studies of showing a large percentage of CF patients suffer from depression, anxiety. My son has anxiety. Um, he's 10, and we've we've had some very real conversations this year. This year, I sat him down and I explained to him what happens in the abortion. He obviously hears me talking about it a lot. So I, he's ready, he was ready for it. So I, I explained it to him. And then I, and I told him how 95% of kids like him are aborted. And, um, 95%. Mm-hmm. Do you and have any idea how many children that is that have been aborted because of cystic I, fibrosis? I don't know. I can tell you there's about 30,000 people, patients with CF here in the United States. We have the majority of CF patients here in the United States. Worldwide, there's only 70,000 of them alive. Um, and so we do know it's, it's very rare, uh, but it, it is, um, it's, a, it's a hard subject. Like I, I talked to Gunnar about the fact that people abort kids just like him. And you know, his face, he just, why? Why would anyone do that? I, you know, and, and it was a hard conversation, but it's made him a, a very firm advocate. But you know, um, Kristen, you've given this testimony, so he puts a face mm-hmm. to these things. People just hear this, that about a child may have some mm-hmm. abnormality, and so therefore it's compassion to kill them. But now that your children are alive and a mm-hmm. part of your life, could you imagine what your life would be without them? Ab- absolutely not. Like they've, they've fundamentally transformed my life and the meaning that I, that I have for the life. And what, what is it, what is am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be making... I'm supposed to be making human beings who are going to go and live in heaven and glorify God for the, for the rest of eternity. That's actually my number one job. If you're not leading people to Christ, if you're not making these saints who are going to go live with him for eternal life, then what else are you doing? Like, that's my number one job. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions. The majority in cases from Texas and Georgia said that the decision to end a pregnancy during the first three months belongs to the woman and her doctor, not the government. Before he formed me in my mother's womb, he knew me before I was born. He sanctified me. We held these truths to be self-evident that all men are decreated equal. They are adult by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That monkeys are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Remember, it's my choice. It's God's choice. It's the baby choice. It's our choice. Not yours. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life! Oh, so cute. He's so tiny. Today's interview is available on a special Choose Life USB flash drive. Also included on this flash drive, you'll find several more interviews and testimonies relating to abortion. This Choose Life USB flash drive will be accompanied by the Observing All Things booklet that contains many statistics and scriptures with regard to abortion and other social issues. You can get these valuable resources today for a gift of any amount. 
Also, Andrew would like to offer you the Observing All Things booklet absolutely free. Go to awmi.net to receive this free offer today. This special offer is limited to one free booklet per household. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today.